Welcome to the final ATP Tennis Radio podcast from here in Miami, where a new champion has been crowned. Settles himself once again, Hubert Hercatch. A point away from the biggest title of his career. Championship point, reaches up, serves, gets the serve in. The forehand's in play. The forehand plays through the, the middle of the court. It's deep from Hercatch. It's deep again off the forehand wing. The backhand from Hercatch cross court to the backhand from Sinner, slightly flatter. The backhand from Hercatch stops at the service line. Backhand to backhand they go. Championship point from Hubert Hercatch. Redirected from Sinner. Forehand cross court from Hercatch. Up the line from Sinner. Stretch from Hercatch. Backhand cross court from the Italian. The slice from the pole. The slice from the Italian. The slice from the pole down the line finds the line, it doesn't find the line from Senna and it's game set and championship to Hubert Hercatch. He wins the biggest title of his career. He is the new world number 16 and he is the first Polish player to win a Masters title. What a performance, what a week from Hubert Hercatch. He is your champion in Miami, beating Yannick Sinner in an hour and 43 minutes and straight sets, 7-6, 6-4. Ruby, wow, you are a Masters 1000 champion. The first pole to do that in men's singles. How does that feel? Yeah, I mean, it feels incredible. I mean, it's uh, tough, uh, tough for me to say anything now, but I mean, I'm so happy and uh, yeah. You led that second set, for love He came back, he was playing better and better. How yeah. important was that hold at 4-3? Yeah, I mean, that was a huge game. I mean, I was a little bit nervous. I mean, I had opportunities to get a triple break and serve for it. And then Yannick started to hit the ball really well. And yeah, I mean, he's an amazing competitor. And I mean, it was, uh, was uh, so happy that I came through it. And then finally serving for the match. Talk to me about how heavy that racket felt. Was that tough? Yeah, I mean, like the balls felt slow when I wanted to serve. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, like at that point, like you really want to get a couple of free points. And I mean, Yannick's amazing returner. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was a tough game there. Still unbeaten in Florida this year. T talk to us a little bit about all the hard work that you've done, you know, to, to feel so good out here. Yeah, I mean, last year I spent here like almost half a year. I mean, I was practicing in the like the hottest weather because like during like spring and summer here. So I think that helped me a lot, like playing now in Florida, especially in this like pretty tough conditions here because it was like a little bit slow here and there was the wind was uh, blowing like from side to side sometimes. So like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. Just finally, 16 in the world on Monday. How much confidence does that give you going to Europe and the clay? Yeah, I mean, so pumped, like, it gives me extra motivation and extra belief in myself, so I'm mean, super happy. Huge congratulations to Hubi Hercatch on a Maiden Masters 1000 victory, and that clearly was the first topic up for discussion when ATP Tennis Radio's Gigi Salmon looked back at the event with her co-commentator, Miles McLagan. The biggest title of his career, the third title of his career, and Miles, a straight sets win over Yannick Sinner, a worthy winner in Hubi Hercatch. He certainly was. He's... I've liked this game for a long time, and it's you know, it's good to see him coming through in a big event. I think he could hardly hardly believe it, but um, and you know the final w was a little different. It threw up. I think most of us were going for Sinner. We saw the the tennis that he'd played this week, some spectacular tennis. But just shows you know into uncharted territory, and I'm sure he'll he'll be here again. But uh, didn't maybe quite um, play his best today. But uh, you know, old Hubie won't mind that. He's uh, got the trophy to hoist aloft. But 
Look at the players that he beat to get here. Yes, he had a bye like all the seeds did. He was a 26 seed in the first round. Then it was Dennis Kudler. Then it was a six seed, Dennis Shapovalov. Then he came from a set down to beat the 12th seed, Milos Raonic, who was really out on his feet in these conditions. Then it was the second seed, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Again, he came from a set down. And then to reach the final, he had to defeat Andre Rublev, the fourth seed, which he did in straight sets. He got there the honest way, didn't he? Yes, as you said, some some great names. And, and he talked afterwards about the, the six months he'd, he'd spent training in Florida right through the spring and the summer heat and how that helped him. So, you know, no, no one's handed in this uh, title by in any way, shape or form. And uh, boy, there were some there were some nervy moments today. He, he obviously he sort of stole that uh, second set at the end, the sinner served for it and uh, he was able to, to break back and, and it was it was a little scrappy, it was windy today at times and I don't think either player played their best and well we wondered at times in that second set if three breaks was, was going to be, and, well he never quite got to three breaks, he had the break points and couldn't quite get it and there was certainly nerves and he sort of, it was, uh, you know, Sinner was closing in on, on him fast. But, yeah, guts, determination and and the discipline to get across the line in the end. Her catch is 10-0 in Florida this year with yeah. that Delray Beach title. He's the first player this year. I know we're still at the early stages, but the first player with two titles this season. And a big thing for him this week especially was his serve. Now, only three aces in today's final, but that gives him 54 for the tournament and in a number of his matches it was the difference he, he's a big guy and, and he generates easy power off, off all his shots and you can you can add to those aces a, a number of cheap points and boy he needed a serve at the end there he, he didn't get the aces but he was able to open the court up so but I, I think he's a player as a center he, he's got weapons all over the place we, we look at some of the some of the greats and it's it's not easy to put together a game plan because they don't have holes in their game and uh, you could say the same for both of these players. Her catch included. He's a good athlete. So many of these big guys get themselves around the court so well. So, you know, you know, perhaps at times it's the it's the mental side, maybe the the absolute belief that's um, that hasn't quite been there for at times. And you know, this is we would hope a, a big stepping stone in that. Her catch in the new rankings is the world number 16. In terms of Yannick Sinner, 19 years of age, he was on his debut in Miami. It was just the third Masters event he's contested and the first on a hard court. He moves from, what, 31 to 22 in the world with this run. But what did you make of, of his performance, not just today, but throughout the tournament? Well, throughout, it's been absolutely stunning. It's, it's I've seen him, obviously, in, in bits and pieces, but saw a lot of his matches this week and the the ball striking is is phenomenal it's it's it really um you raise your eyebrows when you see some of the shots he hit and you just don't think they're on and, and the way he comes forward is his game is complete and we, we talk so much and perhaps a little too much about you know how how calm and uh, mentally how mentally strong he is because i think today was was perhaps just a, a little step too far he, he certainly didn't um play his best tennis but you know perhaps he was getting tired 19 years of age you still need to put that um, physical mental and emotional sort of endurance in the bank you've, you've got to go through that situation and he'll learn from it but um, I think I think you'll be a little dissatisfied with today's performance but you know in the long run that could be the best thing for him just a, you know another reason to come back and just work a bit harder and you know I, I don't think he's that sort of character but we've seen players in the past kind of think well I've, I've kind of done it now I can sit back and you know I, I know how to do these things but you know he'll 
you'd imagine he'll go back and, and keep working and keep getting better. And he said ahead of this final that he prioritises development over trophies. He's only played 69 career matches. He's still, he's still so new at all this. Yeah. He really is, as Coach pointed out to Ricardo Piatti, that he, he, he's never actually even played at Wimbledon. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I know, naivety is, is a good thing, isn't it? You come out and you swing. But, yeah, he'll, he'll learn about himself as well, how to, how to make sure he finds the best performances all the time. But he's doing so much so well already. I mean, every area of his game is, is a weapon just about it. He come, came forward as decisively as as anybody I've seen, maybe barring Federer who, who gets in, gets in a, a lot, but the serve is big, the returns, and, and we all just marveled. You know, looking back at a couple of the matches, he was, um, he was, he was nearly out of it against uh, what is all sorts of troubles against Bublik. He was in trouble against Hachanov. He was, he was dead on his legs at the end of the second set. Found a way through that. So also, you know, that champion's heart of just the survival instinct kicking in. Yep, he's already a titleist this year, winning Melbourne 1, the Great Ocean Road. And we have to remember that two years ago, at this time two years ago, he was the world number 322 and he was playing in Futures in Italy and he's just contested his first Masters final on his debut in Miami. And there was glowing praise from tournament director James Blake at the end saying, you didn't do it today, but I have a feeling your name's going to be read out an awful lot of times over the course of your career. So with Miami now done. I think the first thing is it's wonderful that we have completed a master because times continue to be difficult with the pandemic still taking yep. a grip in parts of the world. But from a tennis point of view, what are you taking away from these 10 days at the Miami Masters? For, for me, it was the tournament of the, of the young guys emerging. Um, again, saw a lot of Sinner, saw um, a lot of Corder as well, and just so impressed again with his mentality and, and how complete his game is. He uh, aggressive off the forehand, the backhand's just just a beautiful shot. He's a big guy. He also gets himself around the court. He he was tough. His particularly his match against um, Schwartzman, he had to to dig in there. Um, so he's really impressive. And then of course the the young Finn Rusevori who who beats Zverev, and I think a, a tournament for Zverev that again will be a bit frustrating but hopefully force him to come come back stronger again and yeah the young Finn really played an aggressive all-court game and Bublik as well not so young but the Maverick perhaps he'll should be inspired enough to show up uh, at the end of these tournaments and uh, possibly one last sort of uh, abiding memory was Medvedev hobbling around with the cramps. I mean, that was a wasn't particularly nice to watch. But against you know, Popperin, he somehow he got through. He looked as though he was about to just shut down at any he minute. Couldn't walk. But the serve got him across the line. That was that was. Uh, we did see the heat affect yeah. an awful lot of people. A number of players finding it difficult to breathe yeah. to, to continue. I mean, at, at times you're talking what 80 percent humidity yeah. and, and the temperature in the mid 80s. It dropped a bit towards the end, didn't yeah. it? But the first few days, yes, players really um, struggled with it. temperatures high 30 and then the humidity on top, as you say. And you know, we we saw players often sort of anything from 45 minutes to an hour and a half and really really struggle with the, the physical conditions and we did talk about this being an opportunity because the headlines pre-tournament were who wasn't going to be there rather than who would be there and it was an opportunity for someone else to stick their head up and say hey look at me including a number of those young players that you highlighted yeah certainly wasn't i mean you know we had Obviously, Djokovic, Federer, and, and Nadal missing, but I, I think um, 
and I repeat myself, you know, we're going to be seeing some drama without those guys. We, of course, we'll miss them, but then, you know, we, at one time we missed uh, Johnny Mack, and then we missed Agassi, and then we missed Roderick, and, 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 you know, eventually it'll come when we miss those guys. But, you know, the end of that, because they haven't been there before, there was nerves from the middle of that second set for, for her catch. There was drama because, you know, three, on the verge of three breaks up, but no guarantee he was going to get across the line. So we're going to be seeing drama. We're going to see players maybe fold, tighten up, comebacks. We're going to see all sorts. I think um, you know, we've got plenty of good stuff to look forward to. Thanks to Gigi Salmon and Miles McLagan. And remember, you can join them and the rest of the team for live coverage of the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters on ATP Tennis Radio starting on Monday, the 12th of April. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Let's turn our attention back to the Miami finalists now and the rapid rise of Paul Hubert Hercatch, who, having won in Delray Beach earlier this year, remains unbeaten in Florida in 2021. Coach Craig Boynton has been alongside him every step of the way. I think the, the process for Hubie is, 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 you know, he wants everything so quickly. Uh, but I see things uh, coming in form slowly, which is which is good. A wise man told me once, if you get, gather things slowly, you will, you can lose them slowly. Obviously, if you gather them fast. So I am I am more of the the one percent a day uh, slow, and he's starting to really understand and see the court. Uh, for the benefits of his game and what he needs to do uh, every day, both on the tournament court and also on the practice court. So when he wins a tournament, presumably you're trying to put the brakes on afterwards, or that must just be great for a young kid's confidence? Well, everyone develops at their own rate. And so, like I said, everyone wants it yesterday, especially with things going now. You see the under 25 uh, age group and how well they're doing. Uh, you know, Hubie looks and says, you know, I want that, I want that. And it, he'll eventually get there at, uh, at the pace and uh, the time, you know, who knows. But it's just all about putting the work in and being present for that moment and trying to win each individual moment. I know it sounds cliche, but when you can stay in the moment and stay now, then you're going to reach your goals that much quicker. For 19-year-old Yannick Sinner, Masters' success looks a cast-iron certainty, such as being his rapid rise under the renowned tutelage of Ricardo Piatti. The veteran coach spoke recently with Barry Cowan. The story is uh, quite interesting about uh, Yannick because uh, uh, before to come in Bordighera, where I'm living in Monte Carlo, but it's 20 kilometers, I have a centre in Bordighera, and uh, he was 13 years old and he was playing two, three times in a week. And after that, he started to play every day. And uh, what happened? Um, and uh, never, I was not, uh, not in focus with uh, young kids about result, uh, but uh, build the game. And uh, okay, I saw him that he was very fast uh, in the court, uh, watching the ball very well, hit the ball. Uh, uh, and moving and uh, try to win the point. So all the characteristics that I like to, the ten- to becoming a very good tennis player. And so, and, uh, and for two, three years, he, he played tournament, but he was not winning. And that, uh, but it, he doesn't care about that. Uh, he didn't play so much junior. And uh, we play, he played uh, um, future. 
Sometimes uh, he went in some future with the, part, the other part of the team, the older, and uh, was not in a draw and he stayed there for practice. So any time that I have a possibility, I put him uh, in a court with a good one. Uh, when I was with Raonic, uh, he was uh, 14 uh, years old, 15 years old. He practiced sometimes with Milos, he practiced with Djokovic, with Roger, with all this guy. But the um, mentality that he has uh, is very uh, smart guy, is very interesting, uh, uh, is, um, and is uh, working a lot. He know that uh, uh, if he's working a lot, he can do everything. It's interesting you said that he played a lot of junior tournaments at 13, 14, but he didn't really care about results, which is very unusual for juniors. Uh, yes, 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 I think. Why do you think he had that mentality? Because most of the time with juniors, it, they have to win. If they don't win, then, then it's absolute car crash. Yeah, for me, is uh, you know, I have a quite experience about this kind of job and uh, I think uh, for me uh, it's very important when uh, our ATP pro uh, is, are important the results because uh, you're going to tournament to win the tournament but the rest uh, is just to build the player and uh, when he came there uh, he explained that uh, I listen I have here also some sparring uh, that are uh, 15 years old uh, and for me they, uh, they already win uh, too much uh, because uh, uh, if you win when you are young, uh, you are more concentrated about the result uh, instead of to build the game. And I prefer in this age uh, to build the game because they have no rush, they, they, because they have uh, free, the mind is free, you know, you can eat the ball, you not just put the ball in the court. That is my mentality, my approach. And the approach that I have is a lot uh, during that time uh, improving the technical part. Uh, Yannick uh, was working a lot about this part, about technical and uh, about mentality. When you talk about technical, what do you mean? Technical is the first important thing for uh, to play well tennis, good tennis, because um, if you hit the ball well, you can control the, the game. So and uh, so that's why I very focus about that. Technically, is mean uh, using the racket in his easy way. And uh, this is that. If you using the racket in an easy way, it's easy to hit the ball and put the ball where you want. And uh, that is my principal goal for uh, this kind of player. Also, with the pro, I work in a lot about that kind of, uh, with that mentality. You were saying that it was easy for you to sell it to Yannick, that it was about development. But that helps when you have all the experience that you have with all the great players that you've worked with, from Lubitsch taking him to three in the world, from Raonic taking him to Wimbledon final, from Gasquet, from Chorich. So how have you been able to improve as a coach over 30 years or so? You know, also with, uh, with you're talking about this kind of player, uh, uh, I work in a lot about technique. And uh, thinking about Milos, Milos is great serve, or, or like Ivan, a great serve. But uh, we, I work in a lot uh, uh, to, to improving that. If you're thinking about the best, uh, you see that uh, Rafa, uh, when he was 20 or now, he's playing better tennis. Uh, my simple example, uh, watching the final of uh, Marseille when um, 
Roger played uh, and he was 20 years old and I think he lost to Rosé or something like that. Uh, if you're watching, you don't recognize uh, Roger because he's completely a different player. Uh, he improved his tennis. That's the mentality that the best player has. And so uh, that's why they, they cannot have the younger. This is my question. And that's why I put uh, uh, with the younger that kind of mentality that they need uh, uh, not to win, but to improve. Uh, when um, uh, I say not to win, uh, it's not mean that go in a court and hit the ball, you know. But they need to understand uh, that uh, everything they're doing is for one project. It's not, uh, okay, you are uh, win, you're happy. Okay, if he's in a project, uh, I'm agree. So if you hit the ball, uh, it's very easy. Uh, it, if uh, you have a good technique example of serve, uh, you have great serve, and then you have possibility to attack. And then I want that when are young, they attack. Like uh, what is doing now Yannick is impone his game. Then start from four years ago. And of course now what happened this year or last year, uh, improving his body is more bigger, is more strong and uh, the re result coming. It's a long-term plan and it's not just about you, it's about a whole team and, and we were, you were talking to me before we started the interview that you have the same people around him that you had for Milos, that you had for Ivan. So, you, so basically it's, it's almost like being a very good football manager or soccer manager. Is uh, yeah because uh, okay when uh, talking about uh, the player, the player is very important. The team on the back, and uh, I have Dale Bolshirola that is a fitness trainer, and Claudio Zimaglia is a physio, and uh, then uh, I have uh, some uh, coaches that are working with me like Andrea Volpini or Christian Brandi. We working uh, we working together with uh, um, Yannick. Uh, important is the people the person around that they have experience so because uh, another important point uh, when you are young uh, is not uh, to see when they winning but when they losing uh, if what is what what is going on if they lose their mind they become nervous uh, you know they, they have no idea to practice they you know they confuse that i like uh, that kind of moment it's a i have example uh, quite a good example because um, uh, Tony Nadal a few years ago um, I remember that there was a one semi-final against Verdasco in Australia and Rafa won a 6-4 in the fifth unbelievable match and everybody remembered that kind of match and uh, Rafa was very tired uh, for the final and, uh, and uh, Rafa uh, and Tony I read uh, and uh, he said listen Rafa you lost in uh, in uh, I don't know in another tournament because you start to be tired and you spoke you are tired and you are not uh, energy for go in in the final match if you think like that you're not winning or change your mind or you're going to lose again and in the end, uh, Rafa is changed his mind. Uh, they, they, what I want to say that you need to educate them. Yeah. I was going to ask that because so often we see the champions. We see Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, uh, and hopefully 
in years to come, we're going to be talking about the same thing as Yannick Sinner. That these aren't people that have been born champions. These are people that have been nurtured. And obviously they have a very good su- su- supreme talent, but they've been nurtured in the right way. I think they, they have a sure talent, but the, the people around they could educate them about to explain the reality thinker uh, in 10 years. You know, uh, tennis is sport, but you need to educate them uh, when they play match. And they need to know what, uh, is, what is going on, you know, if you do something or not. Example, uh, another example is Yannick. Yannick, of course, he wants to become a very good player. But uh, he's not born for that. Uh, he's working uh, more than the other pl- player that I had before. So he's young, but he's working a lot. Uh, okay, example uh, that I, uh, I explained to Yannick. In 2005, I was working uh, with uh, Nole Djokovic. And I was uh, in New York. And uh, uh, Nole had uh, 18 years old. He beat uh, Ancic and Mofis. And then he lost to Verdasco. And uh, I asked to Yannick, uh, if you know after how many years he won uh, US Open and uh, he won after seven years. So, and I tell Yannick, if you have uh, for seven years this kind of energy in your mind to practice, to be angry, to becoming very good, you have a possibility one day to win one slam. If you have not, uh, you're not coming. That's the difference between the good one uh, this kind of okay, they play well, baby. But for me, it's unbelievable. That, you know that uh, uh, Rafa, uh, he was uh, injury, and then he's coming back more stronger. That's is uh, okay. Is not talent. Is education. Is mentality. Education. That is uh, more that we. I think we uh, with a younger you need to push. That mentality has been tested in different ways here in Miami with the players operating inside a COVID bubble once again. But tournament director James Blake, the former world number four, has tried to keep things as normal as possible. I've heard positive things. I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I keep hearing that it's uh, it's the best uh, of a bubble that it can be. And they're happy with the hotels. They're happy with the field out here and being able to, uh, to kind of move around and, and have things to do, even though they're in this protective environment. So um, I've been hearing a lot of positives. Um, you know, maybe at the end of the event, we'll hear if I, if I get some negatives too. But right now I'm hearing a lot of positives, which is, uh, which is actually somewhat rare. <laughs> You're the tournament director, but you're also a former player, of course. Mm. What have been your highlights of, of the tournament so far on the court? Uh, well, I mean, I'm a player. I'm also an American. So seeing four Americans in the round of 16, uh, first time in a long time for that. And then Seb Korda. I mean, what he's been doing is, is absolutely incredible. Um, just 20 years old and um, really sort of rising to the occasion. To me, it reminds me of when Andy Roddick uh, sort of burst onto the scene here, beating Pete Sampras uh, in the Miami Open many years ago and um, sort of his welcome to the world of, of being a top player. And I think for Seb Korda, that's happening to him. He has been talked about for the last year or so as someone that could break through. And here he's done it on one of the biggest stages. And, and I think he's going to ride that. And he doesn't look phased by it. The same way Andy didn't look phased by it when it happened to him. It was almost like he knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. And with Seb, it seems like that's, uh, that's the same scenario. He's not rushing to do it. He's just doing it at his own pace and seeming comfortable. 
he's put his parents in a tricky situation too because <laughs> they were due to fly out to see his sisters play golf, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's that's a very very good problem to have. Is that you got a, a son in the quarterfinals of the Miami Open and two daughters in uh, an LPGA major. So you know you, you pick maybe split up. Maybe one goes one, one stays here. I don't know. I don't know how you make that decision. Flip a coin, but either way, it's it's pretty impressive, and I, I hope they have tons and tons of pride uh, in in their kids. One quarterfinalist over the age of 25, mm-hmm. how does that change the dynamic of the latter stages of your tournament? Well, I think it's exciting because there's, um, you know, on the men's side, it's been sort of dominated for so long with Novak, Rafa, Roger, Andy Murray. Um, they've really dominated the sport. And so now without any of them here, we've got the new kids that are arriving. They're the... Um, and to see who's going to step up, who's going to make their mark. You got some really young players in Sinner and Seb Korda. That's exciting. And who's going to, who's going to uh, be the one to take over that mantle that Roger and Rafa and Novak have held for so long? James Blake there. And as he mentioned, one of the standout players here in singles and in doubles has been young American Seb Korda. I spent some time away from the court with the 20-year-old who was clearly very much at ease in his surroundings. I guess I love South Florida just in general. I had a really good result in, in Delray at the beginning of the year and, and then uh, and then coming here and, and winning matches, it's a, it's a nice feeling and hopefully I can keep going. Talk to me about your game. When you're on your best form, what, what do we expect from Seb Corder? Uh, I kind of just play an aggressive, aggressive style of tennis and uh, I keep a pretty calm head and, uh, and I kind of just enjoy myself when I play. You mentioned the great run of form you had. Um, Talk to me about that because, you know, your first ATP final, what are your memories of the tournament? Yeah, incredible. I mean, I was playing uh, night matches every single time except for the finals and and it was uh, the max capacity that they were allowed and it was a lot of fun. The crowd was great and I was playing some really good tennis and just really enjoying myself, especially with my family there. It was was a really special week. What do you remember of the final? Obviously, it's a tough one for you to remember, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I I still had a lot of fun and uh, against Hubi, he's 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 kind of a good friend of mine now and... uh, he played a really good match and, and uh, yeah, took a lot from it and, and uh, yeah, a lot of special memories there. You mentioned your family and I'm glad you did because I wanted to come on to that. Uh, we'll come on to your, to your dad and the role he's played, but just in general, I'm guessing it was always destined to be a professional sportsman <laughs> of some kind? Yeah, I mean, I, I played, ice hockey was my main sport until I was basically 11 years old, but uh, yeah, we have a, a great support in, a, in our family, and uh, I think without if one of us wasn't there, it'd be a missing piece in the puzzle. And, and without without the support that we have, it, it wouldn't be possible. Just remind me what your sisters do, and what just what, what is everyone up to? <laughs> my both of my sisters are uh, professional golfers on the LPGA, and uh, right now they're playing, or at least one of my sisters right now is playing a tournament in California, and then and then next week they're they're both playing a tournament in California again. So it's. Uh, a lot going on for my parents, busy weeks for them. Is it true you've beaten one of them at golf? Yeah, I, I played one tournament my whole life. It was kind of like a birthday party thing. I, I guess I like had uh, some kind of shots or something, and, and I ended up winning the tournament somehow. <laughs> so that's my claim to fame. Now let's talk about your dad, Peter Corda. Obviously, we all remember him as you know, former world number two. Um, how big a role has he played in your career? Yeah, he kind of shapes everything. I mean, he... He is a great perspective, and and he helps me with with everything pretty much. He he kind of guides me in a way with what I should do, what I shouldn't do, and uh, and yeah, he's he's an incredibly big piece to my to my uh, to my progress and my career. So it's uh, without him, I, I wouldn't be here for sure. 
he also sets the bar quite high in your family. I mean, is it pressure to live up to that? No, my, both of my parents are so incredibly supportive and, and they're always, as, as long as we're happy and we're putting in hard work, then, then they're going to be happy as well. I was wondering, in such a competitive family, how do you relax? What, what's downtime? <laughs> well, it's downtime. Um, I don't know, with my dad, I play a lot of board games whenever I'm home and uh, we play a lot of golf together. But, uh, but with my sisters, we kind of just hang out and, and do something, I don't know, something, whatever, whatever's busy at home, we're always doing something. And how do you support each other in your professional careers? I, mean, I get a text message pretty much before every single match from, from both my sisters and, and they're always watching whenever, whenever they have time. I do the same, I, I always try to fire them up a little bit and, uh, and yeah, whenever I have the time, I'm, I'm always watching them as well. How much have you watched back at what your dad did? Have you watched much of that? Yeah, especially growing up. I mean, I was I was glued to the TV. I was watching tennis, and and I would always find some stuff on on YouTube. And uh, yeah, he's a he was a fun player to watch for sure. And uh, and yeah, he was special. What do you make of his game? Uh, I think our games are, are pretty similar. We both take the ball pretty early. We both hit pretty flat, and and we try to control points with uh, with with the big hitting that we have. And just finally, I know people talk about targets and things all the time, but. He, he was obviously world number two. Um, how high does it feel like you can set your heights right now, obviously I mean, being so young? I'd love to beat him and be number one for sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure my dad was a game away from, uh, from being number one in the world. And uh, yeah, so if I could be number one, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> That is it for this week. The tour now moves on to Europe's clay courts and the second Masters 1000 of the year, the Rolex Monte Carlo Masters. We will be on the ground there for next week's podcast. And remember, we'll have live commentary every day from Monday the 12th of April on ATP Tennis Radio. Rafael Nadal going for his, wait for it, 12th title at the stunning Monte Carlo Country Club. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.